so as we enter into part three of this series, I hope, I hope, I hope that you have come to the place that you understand how your choices and your decisions impact and affect every single person around you. You can follow along today on the, on the Holy Bible app. If you go to events, you can follow along in, in the scripture and what have you will be there. But every choice you make causes others around you to do one of two things. Every decision you make will cause those near you, around you, relation, in your relationship with you, it will cause them to either rise or it will cause them to fall. We're going to talk about that going forward. So turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, a rising tide part three today. This is the final part of this series. Next, uh, next week is Butch, and then a week after that, I'm going to be talking about what it means to be poor. I'm going to give you an intro into that here in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verses, verse 24, and I'm going to read that and verse 25, and it says this, and let us, everybody say, let us, let us. who's us? <laughs> who's a part of us? Me. Put your hands on yourself. Say, I'm an us. I'm part of it. I'm part of this group. Let us consider, remember I've said this so, for a long time, that is the most powerful word in the English language, in any language. Consider is the most powerful word in any language because that word means that I have to now decide whether what I just heard or saw, how it's going to impact me, how it is going to affect me. I have to, every time I have to consider something, a choice has to be made. It's the most powerful word in the English dictionary. So he said, let us do this. Let us do this most powerful thing. Let us do this most powerful thing. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I want to focus on a few things here. First of all, he says, and let us do this. Consider how we may spur one another on. Encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. What day? Depends on what church you're going to on any given Sunday morning. But that day approaching is the day that the Father makes himself real to me. The day that the Father completely expresses himself to me. And said, I'm your God and you are my son. All the more as you see that day approaching. The kingdom of God, hear what I'm saying. The kingdom of God is not to be hidden away or found only in the whispers of our conversations. Track with me for a second. The kingdom of God is not to be hidden away or found only in the whispers of our conversations. It is to be visible, apparent to others in our living, and found in our passion to live a life outside of our weaknesses. A to-be life will cause everyone around us to rise to their purpose. Let me read it again. The kingdom of God is not to be hidden away or found only in the whispers of our conversations, which is typical, which is normal. I mean, I can't, I wouldn't put anybody on the spot. I couldn't put anybody on the spot because I don't know what's true of you, but you do. But the kingdom of God has become an invisible thing for people who are even within the kingdom of God. Our relationship with the Father has become this hidden thing and is only found or discovered by others in the whispers of conversations that we might have. For instance, when we live out loud and we live, when we have a life that is expressive of our relationship with the Father, we're not looking to in any way minimize the value of that relationship. Instead, we are like I am with my wife. I would never consider going somewhere, and if somebody were to flirt with me, I wouldn't have the, I would have no reservation saying to them, you know what that is? 
you got the wrong guy. You know what that is? Let me tell you about my wife. She's amazing. She's faithful. Completely unlike you. She's beautiful. She loves me. She honors me. She respects me. She serves me and I serve her. And we have this thing called love that exists. Born not of the natural, but born of the spirit. And then I would say, and you know what else? You know when I wear this ring on my finger, you know what I think about? I think about the very first night that I met my wife. Very first night. First time I ever met her. First time I ever saw her. On that night, I said to her, I'm going to marry you. And two and a half years later, we got married. And 29, almost 30 years later, we have three children, two sons-in-law. We have two sons. We don't do the in-law. Three sons. Three sons. Well, it's confusing. I'm trying to figure out how to do all this. I have a natural son and then two sons that came into our life via marriage that are now as sons to us in every sense of the word. And now I have a grandbaby on the way. A grandbaby. Now, all of this while I'm showing my ring. And I'll say, so as you look at this ring, I want you to know what's attached to that ring. A wife, five kids, and a grandbaby. In almost 30 years of memories, the word of the Lord, on the first night I met my wife, you can't bring any of that to the table. So you got the wrong guy. Try that one. I found out he's looking. But see, that isn't a whisper in conversation. My relationship with my wife is never a whisper. No one will ever say, are you married? And I say, yes. Come over here and I'll come over here. Yes, don't say that out loud. I don't want people to know that I have relationship with this woman. No, that'll never happen in my life. No one's ever going to say, you know what? What about your relationship with your wife? Can you, and, and, and then me just tear that apart. No, I'm going to say, let me tell you about my relationship with my wife. You ask me about my wife. You ask me about my kids. You ask me about my grandbaby. I haven't even held her yet. I haven't even seen her face other than this digital image thing that is so much better than it used to be. I can almost take her out of the picture and hold on to her. It's that real today. It's creepy. But if they ask me, then they don't even have to ask. It's true. I just go out and tell everybody, yeah, man, I'm married. I got my wife. She's amazing. We've been married almost 30 years. We're going to do something amazing for our 30th anniversary. We're already planning it. And we're going to, we're going to include our kids and our grandbaby. And we're going to do all of this. And we don't even look to do. The relationship is amazing. We never look to do anything without our children. And every time we go anywhere without our children, we're always saying, I wish our kids were here. And they're all adults. I'm boisterous. I'm loud about it. I'm excited about it. I'm never quiet. I'm never like, let me come over here and I'll tell you all about it. Just, you know. Yes, I'm married, but please don't, get it, let it, don't let it out of the bag. But there's a lot of people that are that way about the kingdom. It's only evident in the whispers of their conversation. So when they're sitting around the table and they're watching and they're observing and they're living their life and they're doing their thing, they're living this life, whatever that life is, they're living this life and, and there's relationship with the Father and what have you, but there's this, there's a whisper of that relationship. If you're going to, anyone's going to even understand and know that they have any relationship with God, it's going to be found out almost by accident. Oh, wow, <laughs> caught you praying over your food. In fact, we were praying over our food the other day, me and some of the staff we were over at one of the restaurants over wherever it was another broken egg and we were eating having brunch and we're sitting there eating and we prayed over our food and the waitress said she said oh I'm sorry to interrupt I nobody ever does that anymore but there's no whisper but there's too many people in the kingdom of God today that are, it's it, their relationship with the father it's a whisper in their conversation there's no evidence so so when you're whispering you're not lifting boats Anytime I'm quiet about where I'm at and quiet about who I am, I'm not lifting anything around me. See, 
If someone asked me about, again, going back to my wife, if someone said, tell me about your wife, your relationship with your wife, Kim. And I would say, come over here. Let's come over here to this quiet place because I'll tell you, you know, it's just like, you know, I just really, it's this way and it's this way. And I had these little whispers and it was, and I wasn't excited about it. Do you know what they're going to draw out of that? <laughs> That's why I'm not getting married. You can't be excited about that. That's exactly why I'm not getting married because I, that's what I see. There's a lot of whispering going on about relationships. I don't see, but you know what? I want people, when you see my, my relationship with my wife and hers with me in our relationship, I want people to say, that's why I want to get married. That right there is exactly why I want to get married. These people have been married almost 30 years. And she still loves him. It's easier to love her than it is for her to love me. I assure you, I can be difficult. But 30 years, they've been together. Longer than that, 32 years. But they've been together that long. That's why I want to get married. So he said, let us consider how we, or let, the kingdom of God is not to be hidden away or found only in the whispers of our conversations. It is to be visible, apparent to others in our living. That doesn't mean... Now, I'm getting somewhere with this. That doesn't mean to be a parent in our living, to go out and for us to walk into another broken egg and say, hey, we're here on business of the king. (laughs) You over there in the back table, you didn't look up. I'm telling you, I am here on God's business. You'll know when I pray. I've been practicing this prayer. When they bring my food out, everybody's going to know why I, who I am. I'm on business of the king. Dear God, bless this food. Make it holy. And all these people around me, let them glean from the anointing. Those are the people you want to say, whisper. They want to be visible for all the wrong reasons. But the kingdom of God is to be visible. It is to be apparent to others in our living. It is to be apparent not because we're loud, but because we're not whispering. In my conversation, simply talking to you, the kingdom of God is present in that. There's... Not an absence of the kingdom in my... In fact, let me just say this. I've had conversations with people. There's been less kingdom conversation, less anointed anointing in the conversation. There's been too much earth in it. I've had conversations with people. I've heard language I've never even heard before. I couldn't even define it. And yet, they're wanting to float a boat. I'm just, I'm just telling you today. So the kingdom of God is to be visible, and I'm getting somewhere with this, to be visible, apparent to others in our living, and found in our passion to live a life outside of our weaknesses. Now, I get it. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have weaknesses. I'm not perfect. If you come to this church, if you come to the Rock of Central Florida because you think Steve Parker, just because I lead this house, if you think that I'm perfect, if you think that I'm going to make every decision correct, if you think that I'm going to do every single thing right, I just want you to know right now, if, if, you're, if you being here is dependent on me doing every single thing right, I'm just going to ask you right now, go ahead and leave because you're going to be very disappointed because I'm not going to do everything, every single thing right. I'm not going to say everything right. I'm not holier than you. I don't have any more access to the Father than you do. You need to hear what I'm telling you today. My relationship with the Father is not any deeper than yours can be if it is. What will separate one from the other is how one approaches their relationship with the Father. So, a 2B life will cause everyone around me to rise to their purpose. And a 2B life is the one where I am demonstrating. I'm not whispering about the kingdom. I'm living the kingdom. You're going to see it in my choices. You're going to see it in the things that I do. And I am going to lift the boats that are around me. Even if some of the boats that are around me might be floating in the seas of righteousness but might be getting swamped down by the rain of unrighteousness. The rain of unright, the opportunity around us to drag us down and to pull us down might be filling our boats, 
to the near point of sinking. My purpose, your purpose in the kingdom of God is to be the kingdom. To plug those holes, as I said last week, to plug those holes in those boats. And to help them, not to watch them and say, boy, I hope they make it. But to help them bail the water. And get the water, the rains of unrighteousness that's trying to sink that boat floating in the sea of righteousness. Try to get that water out and try to lift them up because I want to lift the boats of everyone around me. I want my life to affect you in such a positive way that you want to. Paul said it. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. I want you to want to do some of the things that I do. Not everything because some of the things I do I don't want to do. Some of the things I do, I'm looking for a way to get that corrected. Holy Spirit, help me work that thing out. But the things that lead to righteousness, I want you to follow that. I want you to say, man, I I want to get a hold of that. In doing that, I'm lifting your boat. When faced with a to-be life, everyone who witnesses that kind of living will have to confront their own kind of living. When When the person on this side sees a person on this side that is living the kind of life that in every way exemplifies the kingdom of God in a relationship. It's not a whisper relationship. It's an out loud relationship. When the people out here see that, it causes them to confront their own kind of life. See, we are all by nature. We measure our own lives up against those that we know around us. We can say as much as we want to. It doesn't matter to me where they're at, how they're doing, where they're going with it. We can say that and it's only words. Because at the end of the day, all of us, there's a piece of Adam in us, the first Adam. There's a little bit of Adam in us that's always measuring our own lives up against the lives of others, the successes of others, the failures of others, whatever it might be. There's a part of us that says, man, if they did that, man, I wish I could do that. Or, or why are they there and I'm not there? Or why, how did they do that? And I've tried to do that and I couldn't do that. There's a part of all of us that is pushing and, and questioning all of that. And I can tell you today, when we come to the place where we see people on the outside of us living the kind of life that in every way honors the Father and demonstrates the kingdom. It's not loud obnoxiously, but it's visible. Our choices, our decisions reflect Him so well and so deeply that anyone that's not living that kind of life suddenly begins to confront their own. And they begin to ask themselves questions. How That person is blessed, even if they won't use that word. Everything seems to go right in their life. They make good choices. They make good decisions. They're doing this instead of that, whatever it is. How can I achieve that? It causes them to begin to confront themselves and to confront their own kind of living in such a way that hopefully your kind of living is causing them, their boat, to rise. How is it that two people in the very same church have a very different kind of living? How is it that within a single building, within a single congregation, how is it possible that two people, they're under the same ministry, the same teaching every week, how is it that this one on this side as I said a moment ago, can seemingly be so blessed and everything goes right and the person on this side, nothing seems to come together for them. How is that possible? I'm going to get there in just a moment, but let me start with this. Because when we put the emphasis of a changed life on the effectiveness of a preacher... Hear me. When we put the emphasis of my life being changed or we put the possibility of my life being changed on how effective the preacher was, I put the onus on the preacher instead of personal responsibility. All a preacher can do, or teacher, I prefer teacher, but all a teacher or preacher can do is guide us 
is instruct us, is to say, this is the way, and if you will walk in it, these are, this is the outcome you can expect. That's all they can do. But every single person has to make the decision, when I hear what's being said, am I going to apply that? Am I going to make that important to me? And the reason that in the same building, one person can be walking out a life full of joy and peace and righteousness and hope, and another one can't, is because they're poor in different things. Where one person, where they both might have been poor in the beginning, and I'm getting there, and we're going to get into it deeper in a couple of weeks, but the, the, they start, started poor, but one began to fill their bucket with the truths and begin to make application in such a way that it changed their entire environment. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 11, he said, the poor will always be with us. So what is the poor? Here's the problem with that scripture preached in most churches. Most ministries, most preachers will teach that word poor being relative to money. The poor will always be with us. It has Nothing and everything to do with money because it has everything to do with any area of our life where there's a deficit. Any area of our life. Money's a part of that. But so is self-discipline. So is spirit. Poor, being poor in spirit. I have no, I have no passion. Where's my passion? I'm, 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 I have a deficit in my, in my want to. I have a deficit in my excellence. I have a deficit in my whatever it might be. There's a def- poor is re- relative to all of those things, not just finance. You take the Greek word of that word poor, and it, it applies in so many different ways, but means the same thing in every use. And it simply means there's a deficit somewhere. In fact, this particular scripture in Matthew 26, that particular scripture has nothing to do with money. It means that there is a deficit in my relationship with Christ. With the anointed one. With the Father. So how do you correct that? When people are experiencing a deficit when someone on this side of the room is looking across to someone on this side of the room and saying, how come their bucket is full in this area? How come, how come this one's bucket is full in that other area? But mine, every time I look in it, I see the bottom. Ask yourself, and only you can answer this. And if you don't feel like you can, ask Holy Spirit to answer this. I'm really trying to help you this morning. Can I do that? Ask Holy Spirit to help you today. Show you. What are you poor in? Are you poor in self-discipline? Are you poor in excellence? Are you poor in passion? Because what I want to do today is tell you, if I'm not poor in passion, if I'm not poor in excellence, I want to help you fill your bucket. I want to help float your boat. I want to be an incoming tide that helps lift you up. The only way that I can do that is when I live a life that demonstrates in every way that I'm passionate after things of God. Now, someone might say, well, I'm poor in these things, and I feel like I'm doing everything right. But if you're honest with yourself, you're not. There's areas today. As I said a moment ago, I'm always, I'll always, I'm never afraid, never ashamed to tell you where I come up short. I may not give you the details, but I don't always hit the mark. And I can tell you there's areas in my life where there's a deficit, where I'm poor in some areas, and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, help me fill that. Help me fill that bucket. And some of you, I draw things out of you. I had lunch with Kent Crakes this week. Kent, you don't even know it, but in that little lunch, you helped fill a little bit of a bucket that was in me where there was a deficit. And you didn't even know it. And I didn't even tell you until now. Are you hearing what I'm telling you today? But a rising tide will lift every boat that's around it. But there's a reason. Being poor or staying poor in whatever area in our life seems to be almost eternal 
in people's lives. And it is going back to Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Spur, a spur, in this reference here in Hebrews, to spur something on, that word spur originated about almost 400 B.C., that word spur. All the way back then, they used, that was when the first spur was made for horseback riding. It was in 383 B.C., I believe it was. But the first spur that someone wore on their shoe or sandal or foot or however they wore it was in 383 B.C. 383 B.C., they were spurring horses. And the reason that they did that was because when they would hit the flanks of the horse, those side places right in front of their legs, when they would tap those with those spurs, they understood and they knew that there's so many nerves that are present in that area, it takes very little pressure to get a horse to do exactly what you want it to do, even though it's so much larger than the rider. So all you would have to do in the original spurs, I saw a picture of one, and the original spur was simply a little thing that they strapped with a leather strap, it looked like, on the back of, a, on the back of their foot, and it had a point, one single point, where spurs today have the rollers, but that had one little point, one little sharp point, almost looked like the spurs on a rooster, but it had one little point, and they would take that spur, and they would just rub that thing up, up the flank of that horse, and they would get it to go left, they'd get it to go right, they'd get it to do whatever they wanted it to do, because the horse could not resist because they were touching on a nerve. And when they touched on the nerve, the horse re reacted and responded to that. And he says in Hebrews, he says this, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to ask you this question. Are you spurring anyone on toward love and good deeds? Is your tide causing anyone's boats to rise? How? The first way to do this is by not forfeiting meeting together. As Hebrews said, the writer of Hebrews, Luke, or whoever it was, said, as the manner of some is. Now, I know someone might say, well, you're talking about coming to church, and you know, church just isn't that important anymore. I know. That's the problem. I've known somebody, there's a girl, there's a young lady that I've, my wife and I have known for a long time since she was little. She's not a girl anymore. She's probably 40 years old, but we've known her since she was a little girl, maybe up late 30s. And we've known her since she was a little girl. She doesn't go here, never been here, but we've known her. And just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, she put a post online on, on her, one of her social media accounts, and she said, and I'm not going to get the words exactly right, but I'm paraphrasing it, but it was disturbing nonetheless. And she put a post online and it said something to the effect of, it said, um, what did it say exactly, hon? Because I want to get it right. You remember? Something about leaving the church. Um, the best decision I ever made was going to church and the second best, no. The second best decision I ever made was going to church. The best decision I ever made was leaving the church. Now, see, I know this girl, and I can tell you that the fruit of her life says she is completely confused. There's nothing about her life that I would imitate. She's important to the kingdom, but what happened was she got a bad taste in her mouth, and I'm using this as an example this morning for this reason. Because she got a bad taste in her mouth about what church is. In fact, there's a lot of people that are sitting in their bedrooms today or their living room or watching TV or still sleeping today that aren't going to church. And you know why they're not going to church? Because when they came to church, they came poor and they stayed poor. Poor in spirit, poor in discipline, poor in excellence, poor in knowledge, poor in relationship, poor in hope, poor in passion. There weren't enough boats there. There weren't enough tides there to lift that boat. You hearing me today? And I think about how people can come to the place where, and I can tell you, when I got saved in July of 1985, when I got saved, since that time, July the 8th, 1985, was when I got saved. And since the time I came to Christ, 
It has been so rare that I have missed gathering, even when I didn't like the church that I was at. It has been so rare that I would even miss. I'm getting somewhere with this. I want you to track with me because I need this tide that I am today to lift your boat. And I'm going to lift your boat because I'm going to make you aware of some things where you might be poor, but today you can become rich in that. Because if you're poor in understanding, or you're poor in spirit and passion, today I want to help lift your boat. But I can tell you over those years since 1985, there have been very few times that I have missed service. No matter where I was, no matter, no matter where I'm at, very few times that I've missed going to church. But see, for me, I didn't go even when I was in a church that was difficult for me to be at because of whatever. I've only been to four churches since I got saved. Four. And two of those, three of those I was on staff at. All of those, in fact, because I'm on staff here. <laughs> so since 1985, but I wasn't on staff when I started going. And I couldn't wait. There was something in me that wanted to be there and wanted to be present because I came into an ocean of people that loved their God, that were excited about serving Him, that were excited about getting together, excited about sharing their testimonies with one another. I came into this, this building that was an ocean of joy. And it was lifting this poor man's spirit who, was who had a huge deficit in hope. Huge deficit. In fact, hopeless. My bucket was empty. I had a deficit of passion. I was not passionate about anything except for all the wrong things. But when I came to Christ on that particular evening, on July the 8th, 1985, I never looked back. And if the doors were open, I made my way. I didn't plan events when the church was meeting. I'm just telling you how I did it. I know a lot of people do it different nowadays. But I didn't plan events when the church was meeting. I planned around it. I didn't plan to be here or be there when they were gathering, because I knew this, I'm going to get less out of what I plan than I'm going to get when I gather together with a people who love their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. I'm going to, my boat will be floated when I'm gathered with the right people. Amen. And I knew, I knew that every time that I went, I was going to be changed. Even days when I would go to church and it seemed uneventful. And I yawned my way through it. That's happened a lot. I yawn at my own preaching sometimes. <laughs> and some of y'all have been yawning this morning. I've been watching you. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell everybody who their names are. No, I'm just kidding. But I'd go to those services and I would sit there and I would, I would, there were times I would go in there and I mean, there were some that were just amazing. And when I left, I felt like, man, my bucket is overflowing, man. I'm telling you, this poor man today became a rich man. And there were other times I went in there and I felt this deficit and I had this deficit. And when I left, I didn't necessarily feel like that deficit was full, filled, that the poor man became a rich man because I yawned my way through it. But I knew that if I'm going to be filled, I'm not going to be filled doing something else. If I'm going to be filled, I want to be filled with righteousness. I don't want to be filled with something else. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? I said this morning to the team before we came out here and we prayed. I'm going to wrap it up here in just a moment. But I said to them when we were praying this morning, I said, you know, 
back in the days of Christ, back before Christ, but back in the days of Christ, certainly. When they would go to the temple, and they would go once a year. All, we have all kinds of historic uh, resources to demonstrate and prove this, including the Bible. But when they would go to the temple once a year, and they would make that march, they would go to that temple, and while on the way to the temple, everybody say, on the way to the temple. While on the way to the temple, if there maybe was family, or maybe was a place they wanted to visit or do, they would visit it on the way to the temple. But the temple was the target. Today, our culture has become this, especially within the church world. Our culture has become this. I'm going to go here, this event, do this thing, and if, if, if the church is on the way, I might stop in. I'm going to tell you today. The reason the poor will always be with us is because the poor are always going to be those that if I go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 10, and he says, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. How can we do this? By not giving up meeting together. Do you want to know how to learn? We learn when we gather. The poor will always be with us because they make gathering secondary to everything else in their life. And I can tell you, if we can change the culture and the idea that our gathering on Sunday morning isn't just because it's convenient, it's because it's life-changing. Even when I come in and I'm yawning, if I bore you to tears with my words, the person to your right or left might give you just exactly what you needed to make it through the rest of your week. We do not gather together so that you can look at the back of the head of the person in front of you. We gather together so that your tide can lift their boat and their tide can lift yours. We gather because you have come with something. They have come with something. So what am I doing today? Am I saying it's important for us to come to church? That's not all I'm doing, but that's part of what I'm doing. I'm doing that because Luke or whoever wrote Hebrews, some say Luke, who knows? It doesn't matter. It was written. I'm doing it because... It's clear. He said, if you want to do this right, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You want to help someone learn? Make your assembly more important than the other things that we so often plan. I've been doing this. I've been in ministry. I've been saved since 1985. I've been ministering full-time for 30, almost 33 years. And in those years, I've witnessed too many times having conversations with people, whether it was a phone call, a text, an email, or whatever, that would let me know, I'm not going to be there tomorrow because I'm going to do this thing. And my heart breaks because I think that thing could have been done on Saturday. That thing could have been done any other day. But see, the poor will always be with us because what we make important to us reveals where we are rich and where our deficits are. And if we've come to the place where we believe that the gathering together of believers is not very important, I can tell you without question today, you are poor in passion. And you have lost sight of what the anointing of Christ's potential is in you. We live in a cultural situation today that is so alarming. So alarming. I preached a series about a year ago, and I really am wrapping this up, but I preached a series about a year ago that talked about the church. We are the church, and we are. We are the church. But the assembling of ourselves together, even as the church, even when I'm the church, because absent you, there is no church. 
when I am the church, I can tell you today, even though it's me, even though it's you, bringing our churches together lifts those who are all around us. Because we're not whispering, we're not hiding, but we have reshaped our focus. We have repositioned the target. Only you know whether being here, gathered together among others, is really important to you. Only you know whether it's important to you. I don't. Well, I do. Because I, I know by whether or not you're here and how often you are and what you do in place of being here. But you have to decide for yourself why this thing might be more important than here. And I said this morning to the team, I said, we would be better off. And I, and I, and I know someone's going to say, but you're a, you're a preacher, so you're supposed to say that. I, if you don't know me, I don't say anything because I'm a preacher. If I'm saying it, I'm saying it because I believe it. We would be better off. People would be better off. The kingdom of God would be stronger today. More boats would be floating in our tides today. If we said to the people who invited us to, and I'm just going to use something, not because I saw anything, I don't know if this is true of you. <laughs> if we said to people who invited us to Disney on Sunday, and said, I can't go Sunday, but I can go Saturday, or I'll take a day off on Monday, if you can go, because I am not missing my opportunity to be together with the assembly of believers. You're going to float somebody's boat. Your tide will cause them to then examine their own life. But it's become too easy for us to say, yeah, I'll go on Sunday. Yeah, I'll, I can miss that. It's not important. I'd rather be there anyway. I'm going to do this on Sunday. I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you, can we change that? I can't change it for you. I can only say to you that if a rising tide lifts all boats, I want to make sure that my tide is rising and not falling because the same tide that lifts boats will be the same tide that will sink them. If you've ever been on a shore anywhere, and you've tried to take out a canoe or a sea dew or whatever, if you're on the shore of the ocean and the waves are crashing, the tide's coming in, and you're trying to get that thing out where the waters are smooth, and that tide's coming in and those waves are bashing against you, it is all about timing. Because you'll push that thing out, the wave will hit you and drag you right back in. You'll push that thing out, it'll flip you over, you get reorganized and, and try to get back out there. But if you persist... If you persist, you keep bringing that tide in. And that person wants it bad enough. They're going to break through that first wave. They're going to break through that second wave. And they're going to float just like you. And the kingdom of God is never about me. And it's never about you. It is about the Father. It's never been about you and me. It's always been about the Father. It's always been about His Christ, His Son, Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God isn't about, it needs me. It is about that. It needs me. And it needs you. So today, stand with me if you would please. I encourage you to be a rising tide of life to everyone around you. But I'm going to add this in there. But first, make sure your own boat's floating. First, make sure your own boat is floating. You know, my faith, when I think about going to church, and all these years that I have been faithful to church, and I've listened over the years to people say why they don't go to church and why it's not important to them. I've listened to them talk about because this preacher did this or this person on the right side of the building did this or I see too many hypocrites doing that. But my faith, personally, can I just tell you how I live? I'm going to tell you. My faith has never been tied to people doing all things right. My faith has always been tied 
to God doing all things right. If I tie my faith to people, church becomes unimportant. Assembling together. But if I tie my faith to the Father, He does all things right. And even in the middle of the assembly, when things aren't pretty, the Father will use those unpretty things. He'll fix them. And He'll make them beautiful. But we've got to give Him the opportunity. And we do not correct wrong things by throwing them out. And too many people have decided, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. I'm not going to be a part of the kingdom anymore. Just like this young lady I was mentioning to a minute ago. She sees it as an albatross. She sees it as something that destroys, doesn't heal. But we don't correct things by throwing them out. We correct things by doing right what has been done wrong for too long. And we correct those things by first doing it in us. A rising tide lifts all boats. We, you, are a rising tide. You might be poor in some areas. But if you keep your boat around people who are rich in the area where you're poor... In time, you'll find that your deficit is gone. See, I need you. Because the bucket I'm empty in, you might be full in. You need me. Because the bucket you're empty in, or not quite full in, I have an abundance of. I can tell you, if you have a deficit in shouting... I can fill your bucket, mine, and everybody else's in this room. Because I'm a shouter. I love it. If your deficit's passion, I have abundance of it. I've never lacked for passion. I hit it head on, and I keep going until it's met. Whatever it is. If your deficit is the ability to forgive, get in the boat with somebody who has an abundance of forgiveness. If your deficit is, I just don't hear God. Get around people that don't talk about a cloud forming in the building or smoke rising from the back wall. But assemble yourselves together with people who demonstrate that their God is above all. And that there's no one greater. There are no other gods. There is a single living God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that our boats could float on the tide of his anointing. And I'm telling you, that's where we are today. But you too, just like him, have a responsibility. I want you to use that strong word I gave you this morning, consider, and I want you to walk out of this building today, and I want you to consider everything you heard, one, and then two, I want you to listen to the podcast. It'll be up Tuesday. You can listen, listen to it on YouTube today. But the podcast will be up Tuesday. I want you to listen to it. And I want you to ask yourself. I want you to be honest with yourself. And anywhere in you. That you've con- you continue to remain poor. Poor in spirit. Poor in whatever. Anywhere that there you continue to remain there. I'm going to tell you. You cannot. It's not possible for you to stay among other believers. And all your buckets stay empty. It's not possible. Do you believe that? We serve a God not that's looking for a way to keep us down or to make us puny or to keep us wanting. We serve a God who wants to fill 
to abundance. Yes. Yes. He wants to grow us. Yes. And he wants us to demonstrate him in every way. I look and couldn't help. Denise, can I call you? Can I mention you this morning? You have no idea why, but I'm going to. <laughs> but I was thinking as I was reading the scripture this morning about forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. And that is the portion he put with people who are passionate about the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting? That's the only thing he mentions in the same scripture as being passionate about the kingdom of God. It's interesting. And when I was thinking about that, Denise, I thought about you, and I thought, this is before I knew you'd be here today. But I was thinking about, I knew you were here before with everything going on. Her mother is passing, literally. Even Maniscalco has been a part of this house for, oh my Lord, 20 years, more. Incredible woman of God, loves the Lord. She hasn't been here in a long time because of health reasons. But she's passing, she's transitioning. And here's her daughter who loves her with all her heart, soul, and mind. And she's present today. And when I looked up and I saw you, I thought about you this morning, and I came in here, and when I saw you, I thought that right there is why the buckets that need to be filled will be. They will be. Father, today, I lift my voice over every man and every woman, every person that's in this house. Can, can I ask everyone, would you lift your hands this morning, please? Father, I pray for us. I pray... For the people, even if they're not in this building or watching this service today online, wherever they might be, I pray for those who have received your son, Jesus Christ. I pray for those who call themselves believers. I pray that all of us will be awakened today. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you will stir our hearts. There is a world out there that is making a relationship with you a laughing matter. But to those of us who know you and who serve you and who honor you, it isn't a laughing matter. It's a matter of life or death. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you will stir in the heart and the soul of every single believer today. That we aren't to be whispering about the kingdom in the back corners of our conversation. But we're to live a life that in every way demonstrates you a to-be kind of life. That life that says to be a part of the kingdom means that I'm not hiding things. I'm talking about the ring on my finger that I wear that speaks of my relationship with the Father. Whatever it might be. Amen. But Father, I'm honoring you. And I pray today that you will stir every believer all around the world today, wherever they are. Every single one. We don't have to know them. You know them. I pray that you will stir every believer today. I pray for an awakening in the church. I pray for an awakening in the sons and daughters. I pray for an awakening today in every single person, Father. Everyone. So that you are glorified. So that you are glorified. Revival, awakenings do not happen outside of us. It always happens in us first. It starts with the one. Let it happen today. So that you are glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.